Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seen more health issues with the dog's joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do this same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Now, my dog, Phoebe, is the queen of our house, and I can tell you that her health is extremely important to us. She is a part of our family. I watched the video, y'all, and I was amazed by the things I didn't know that could impact your dog's health. This 20-minute video is packed full of tips that I've already started with my dog, Phoebe. I'm noticing more energy, healthier skin and coat. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com RLRC and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash R-L-R-C. Hey, y'all. My wife's biggest struggle this past year was fighting the symptoms associated with menopause. Hot flashes, mild mood swings, and sleeplessness. She had them all until she tried Hormone Harmony. She was amazed at how much Hormone Harmony reduced her symptoms and supported her mood and her general well-being. Hormone Harmony is not just a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause. It's become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now, here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. So hormone harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it. But it's perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, Poor sleep and feeling tired all the time. Occasional bloating and gas. No desire to be in bed next to someone, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all of these things. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code RLRC at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code RLRC for 15% off today. Yeah, the rights remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will point one for you. Do you understand your rights? When the wolf is at your door, you run 
this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast may contain descriptions of acts of violence or that of a sexual nature and should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off of the internet or for some television show. The facts I'm retelling you were presented to me by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My descriptions of the crime scenes, what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And y'all, we have been frozen down in the deep south, and we missed a couple of Real Life, Real Crime dailies this week, and we missed uh, the, you know, Bloody Angola. But I want to give a shout-out to Jim Chapman, my producer and co-partner on Real Life, Real Crime Daily for stepping up and filling in and making the magic happen even when we couldn't make it happen. Mike was frozen in New Orleans, and I was frozen up north, and Jim, fortunately, only lives about a mile from the studio. So thank you, Jim. Uh, uh, I think you did some great episodes. But today we're going to be concluding Louisiana's worst serial killer. Now, when I left y'all last, I just told you about the second set of gruesome murders. uh, uh, And that was in the Cheney household. So let's go back to that, okay? Now, the... That was on July 19th, July 18th, 19th, 1985. So take yourself back to the time. No cell phones, no DNA. Um, everything was done with fingerprints. I'm talking about working crime scenes. Fingerprints and stuff like that and chemical analysis on different pieces of evidence. And when they were working that scene, y'all, they found um, some duct tape. In the alley behind the, the they being the police, by in the alley behind the Cheney residence, and the duct tape had been it appeared to be the same duct tape that was used to gag Carlitha Culvert. Uh, they did what they do did back then. They chemically tried to match it. The duct tape came back and was found to be chemically identical to the, the duct tape um, that was used. To gag Carlitha Cul- uh, Culvert, and the piece the the report said the pieces of tape either originated from the exact same roll or from separate rolls made by the same company. But check this out: it was a professional grade tape used by plumbers and other professionals, and was unavailable at retail stores. Now I don't really remember if they had Home Depots and shit back in 1985, so I'm thinking. It, that they didn't or they weren't really everywhere like they are now or Lowe's or whatever. So they would have had plumbers that use this would have had to go naturally get it from their, their plumber stores. All right. I also told you about the two victims. Well, no, not victims. They were still the t- two survivors in, in those murders. Right. So the cops, that's Marla and Tamika and the cops, um, it, had them examined by doctors, but they really both 
later on when the trial would come up, both sides agreed to not let them testify because they were mentally handicapped. Um, Tamika, they interviewed her several times in, uh, by the police and the doctors. And back then, y'all, so, sodium pentothal was a deal, a truth serum, right? They'd shoot people up with it, and sometimes it would work, and sometimes it wouldn't, I guess, like a like the polygraph. Um, they used it to try to get her to recall, you know, facts about what she may have witnessed. The problem was she gave different stories, and the majority of the— the stories that she told, she said that one killer broke into the back door carrying a knife with holes in it and a rope. And she drew a picture of the knife, which matched the knife that was script, uh, that was missing from the other murders I told you about, Deborah Ford's house. But she also gave different statements and said that the, uh, the killer and the ladies that broke in at night and they put flies and spiders on the on the face of Billy Joe Harris. Um, when when the cops first arrived on the scene, they did find flies on Billy Joe Harris. And the coroner, when he came in, found evidence during the autopsy of roach bites roach bites on Billy Harris's face, but they were post mortem. So you know they can't really use it one way or another. And they weren't ever admitted in evidence in the trial. All right, let's fast forward to August the 5th, 1987. Again, this pretty tight time frame, y'all. And there was a 73-year-old man named William T. Code, and he lived at 641 West 66th Street in Shreveport. And remember, I told y'all that's top western corner of Louisiana, largest city up there in the north Louisiana and close to the Texas border. But on August the 4th, 1987, William Code worked in his yard with his two grandsons of a friend, uh, Emertine Williams. Now, they weren't his grandsons. He, he was Emertine Williams' grandsons. Now, the two boys were eight-year-old Eric Williams and 12-year-old Joe Robertson. And they worked all day in, in William Code's yard. William Code took care of his shit, right? And they're raking up the leaves and whatever happens. And not probably cutting grass in, in August, uh, um, but cleaning up the clippings. I mean, William Code took pride in his shit. So they worked until 8 p.m. Well, South Louisiana in the summertime, you get, that's when it starts to get dark, around 8, 8.30, up to 9 o'clock at night. Miss Williams was called, and, and the boys wanted to spend a night at William Code's house. So they called Miss Williams, the boy's uh, grandmother, and she, over the phone, she said, yeah, yeah. They said, hey, can we spend the night? And and, and they'd done this numerous times, y'all. That was like, I guess, you know, a night out for, for the boys, right? And they tr- trusted Mr. Code and all that. The family did. And they called and, hey, Mom or Grandma, can we spend a night at uh, Mr. Code's house? You know, they were going to chill. And I'm sure he'd cook us some supper and all that. And she gave them permission. And they had, like I said, they had done this many times in the past. Well, night goes by. Next morning comes. And guess what happens? Boys never came home, and so Miss Williams, you know, 
it's like, what the fuck, right? And, it, and where are they at? This is unusual. Um, no big deal, though. I mean, they all live in the same neighborhood. So she walks to uh, William Coe's residence that afternoon. She, she gave him plenty of time. And again, there were no cell phones and all this or social media to hit them up and say, hey, where's my kids at? Um, but when she got there, she noticed that the doors were locked and there were still burglar bars on the windows and the doors, which kept her from gaining an entrance. Y'all, you know, this is typical in any neighborhood. It's questionable. Uh, if you could afford it, you put wrought iron bars on your windows and wrought iron exterior doors on your doors. And it just basically keeps um, people from just busting open your, your windows or your door. But she, so she's looking at a house. She's checking it out. It's looking at the windows and the doors, and she can't find any sign of forced entry. Nothing's been broken into. Uh, everything's locked up. And she, you know, she knocked on on the front door and the back door, and nobody answered. But the strange thing was, she could hear music playing from inside. Right? Well, sound familiar? Um, so. She, what does she do? She goes to one of the windows and she looks through. Now, she looks through the window. She's like, holy shit. She saw something she never thought she would see. And it was the bound foot or tied up foot of Joe Robinson, right? So she freaks out. And, and she, she ran home and she called the police. And then she got her brother and her niece and her granddaughter to go back to William Code's house. And they got they had a key. And after using the key to open the burglar bars on one of the windows, uh, Miss Williams and her brother saw the bodies of William Code and the two boys. And then and they climbed in and, and they saw all three of them and all three of them were in separate rooms, dead. Now pay attention to the rest of this all falls into place so joe robinson was found laying face down on the living room couch okay and he had been uh struck in the forehead with something a blow that was severe enough to have dazed him and he had bruises on his shoulders beneath the skin and over both collarbones Right, so he took a beating. His ankles were tied with a white plastic cord, and each end of the cord was tied around the ankle, and there was that gap in between. Remember, I told you on the other murders, the the gap in between, which makes it look like the pair of handcuffs. Um, a length of the same cord had been used to tie his hands together behind his back with one end of the plastic cord tied to one wrist and the other end tied to other wrists, again, like handcuffs. And there was also a, a piece of cord that was loose. Uh, um, it was around his neck, held like a gag, y'all. And it doubled uh, the length of the cord. It was used to strangle him, okay? But it was loose, so evidently they strangled him and let go of it, and it was loose around his neck. And here's the kicker. This will remind you of the other ones. Now, he's a, he's a boy, right? Remember, this is the two boys that were helping clean the yard, and they spent the night. 
um, he was only, Joe Robinson was only wearing a pair of underwear, which had been turned inside out. Remember the other murders, okay? Now, the other boy, Eric Williams, was found laying face down between two twin beds in a small bedroom where he had been apparently been drugged from one of the beds, and he had plastic rope uh, in, in which held a gag around his neck, okay? His hands had been tied identically the same way that, that the other boy's hands were tied in a handcuffed ligature. It's just, y'all, if you if you practice to tie this handcuff ligature, you couldn't do it if you hadn't done it in a couple of months or something. It's just a very unique signature, if you will. And one of his ankles was tied with this cord, but then it ran out. Like So whoever had cut the cord and tied up uh, handcuff ligatures, they were going to tie his, uh, you know, basically hog time, and they ran out of cord. So the killer had then evidently took an electrical cord to finish binding Eric Williams or the young boy's ankles together. And a second length of cord had been used to strangle him. You know, there were no signs that a struggle took place, and he was only wearing a pair of underwear. Now, strangulation, I told you, is very personal. It takes you know a minute and a half to three minutes. Uh, I don't know if he had him under duress or something where he didn't struggle, so he could tie him up and strangle him out, because otherwise, certainly, he would have fought for his life, even though he was a kid. So now, the elderly gentleman, William Code, when they found him, he's laying face down on his bed, and he's dressed in a dressing gown. Dressing gown, y'all, even men warm, and some, some men still do. Basically, like a single row, a single piece robe thing that you sleep in. But his, but his ankles were tied up with an electrical cord. And then the cord was brought up the front of his legs and tied to his wrists, which were, uh, which were behind his back. So basically, hog tied him again, y'all. The. That when where they were tied behind his wrist, guess what? Again, that signature handcuff ligature, the the loop to loop where it looks like the handcuffs in the middle. And check this out. Just like the two boys, he had another cord around his neck. This one was a telephone cord, and it held a gag in place over his mouth. Well, why would you gag someone? Because they're still alive when you're doing this to them, right? So, Mr. William Code, um, the cops come out and they work it. And during his autopsy, it showed that he had been struck with a heavy blow to the side of his head, which could have alone caused his death. And he had hemorrhages in his brain, which were consistent with being beaten about the head with a fist. But check it out. He had been stabbed five times one two, three, four, five in his chest and seven times, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in his back and another time in a major artery in his upper right arm, all with a long knife, right? 
And that coroner said, hey, any of these wounds could have been fatal, what killed him, but he died from the total cumulative effect of all his wounds, all right? And the the crime lab would end up testifying at the trial that they found medium velocity blood spatter on the wall in William Coe's bedroom where he was killed. Y'all, medium means, you know, when I told you when you stab someone or you shoot someone uh, where the X wound is or if you pull back out, what the cast-off part, the, the first blood comes out slower, then the rest of the blood comes out faster, and that's what gives you your spots. The medium blood spatter means that um, it's not a total big spray, so it's less force that's being used when these when these are done. That's I think that's why they determined that it wasn't necessarily any one particular stab wound that killed him, but it was all of them in total, uh, plus the the brain injuries that he had. So, guess what happens? Our friend Doctor McCormick comes back and he's like, "Hey, this is definitely again." One dude's responsible for the murders, all right? Because the two boys were tied in the same way. They were gagged in the same way, and they were killed in the same way. And the materials from the house were used to tie William Code. Now, Dr. McCormick testified that the victims were probably killed in the order in which they were found because there was no sign of force entry. And... uh. They said that the the boy that Robinson that died in the living room or died was murdered in the living room. He probably let the the killer in the front door, and he was then you know basically subdued by the strong blow to his head, which would have knocked him kind of cockeyed, if you will. Then he was gagged, tied, and strangled, and of course his underwear were turned inside out. Um. Then that. Killer moves on to Williams, who was in the front bedroom, and the, McCormick says, hey, hey, look, he he was probably asleep. He was in the twin beds. He's asleep and because there was no signs of struggle. But then he was tied up and killed. And McCormick goes on further, and he said, look, the, you know, there was no element of overkill in the two boys the two young boys, and no knife was used on them. But Mr. William Code, there, this was personal. He said overkill was definitely present, and William Code was also beaten repeatedly over the head, and he was rolled front and back to be stabbed many more times, meaning, y'all, when he's down, he's got him tied up after he's beating him around the head. Not only jukes him the five times, then he turns him over and jukes him another seven times, right? And there's way, too, way many more times than he would have been necessary to kill him. That's what Dr. McCormick said. And Dr. McCormick said that this showed an emotional relationship between the victim and the murderer, all right? So when the cops processed the scene, as they always do, the there was no money found inside the house. Although, just like in the past murders I told you about, it was it was found. You know they they traced back the 
the day before and, and what William Code had been doing, et cetera. And William Code had cashed uh, numerous checks totaling between 400 and $600 the day before he was murdered. Uh, also missing from the residence was a small caliber pistol. Now, the cops did find a knife and a set of keys in a storm drain about 600 feet from the residence. And the knife was a match to a set found in William Code's kitchen. Uh, and one of them was missing, but it was a match, right? And check this out. The keys they find match William, Co- William Code's front door. Okay? So there you have it. Now, when they're doing this, like I said, y'all, there's no ring doorbell cameras and all that back then. It was just good old-fashioned boots-on-the-ground police work. Um, that's how they found the knife and the keys in the storm drain, and obviously someone discarded them there. And the previous murders I told you about, they found the duct tape in the alley. Well, it's just good old-fashioned police work, boots-on-the-ground. They're out doing what they do. Well, the first thing you're going to do is knock on everybody's doors, right? So they find a neighbor. His name was Donald Ray Johnson. And he said that he saw a guy named Nathaniel Code, who had exited Williams Code residence the night before after 8 p.m. And now this is the night of the merge hall. So Johnson says he... He sees Code, Nathaniel Code, uh, walk out of the house. He shuts the inner door, and then he shuts the, the iron bar door over it, right? And he shook them to make sure that they were locked. And he walked out to the vehicle. Code drove down the street toward Johnson, and he sees him, and he stops and says, Hey, man, what's up? And Code had a female passenger in his car, which he introduced to Donald Ray Johnson. Hey, this is this is my new wife. And then he just drove off, right? Well, why do you think he did that? You know, and I'm thinking, oh, shit, he's he's leaving the, the scene of this murder, and he's like, oh, there's a witness, and I'm going to just stop and say hi, right? So uh, Donald Ray Johnson thought it was, it was strange as fuck. He's like, you know, why did he do that? Uh, you know, and he just... Thought it was unusual because Mr. William Code, that not Nathaniel, y'all, that left the scene, the, the, the murder victim, William Code always walked his guests to the front door to make sure that he locked the security doors from the inside. Um, and he also stated that he knew William Code would not allow Nathaniel Code in this house. And because Johnson had been there two weeks before when William Code uh, was in his yard and Nathaniel Code came up, it's like, hey, uh, grandfather, I, I need to borrow some more money. And William was like, uh, dude, I've been loaning you money. You've never paid me back. And, you know, I'm not loaning you more shit. And Nathaniel was like, come on, Grandpa, you know, just give me some, you know, I just need – 50 bucks. And he's like, no, bro, I've been loaning you money and I don't know what you're doing with it. I know it's not good and you never paid me back and I'm not loaning you any more money. So the uh, 
Another guy, John Huckabee, who was an electrician who had installed security lighting at the Code's residence. Again, this four-home camera system, y'all. Uh, um, this has been a lights like when you walk up, the lights turn on. But he he told the cops about conversation he had had with William Code, the murder victim, in which Code William Code told him he was afraid of his grandson, Nathaniel Code, because they shout out to Astro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? I love that. You sound like, <laughs> it's that time of year, though, bro. I sound different to me. I feel like I'm in a submarine. Yeah, well, have you tried Astro? It's faster, bro. Oh. Right? Astro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this. And you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies really kicked up with it, right? I use Astro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those rows, playing my stuff. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. It's faster, bro. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. It's springtime, boys. The grass is green, the birds are chirping, and the kids will be out of school soon. That makes it the perfect time to plan a family vacation. And we know from the stories we cover that this is not exactly the time to take the family to the Caribbean. You don't want to end up in the middle of some cartel drug shootout. So this year, it's time to take an international journey. And of course, a big international trip is just one reason to learn a new language with Rosetta Stone. You might have a different one. Maybe you want to connect with family or friends living overseas. Maybe you want to acquire a new skill for work or better understand a certain culture. Rosetta Stone has helped me have fun with my mother and at least have partial conversations in Italian after only a few lessons. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and many more. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways. No English translation, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. Intuitive process, you pick up a language naturally. Designed for long-term retention. Speech recognition. The true accent feature is like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is convenient and an amazing value. That's right, Woody. A lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% 
50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Sayonara. Your code had attempted to borrow money from him in the past, and it had been refused him because uh, his grandson had never paid him back. But, I mean, so he, this guy's just installing his lights, and he's like, dude, why are you installing the lights? What's up? I mean, see, so you got security bars and all that. He's like, mm, I'm kind of scared of my grandson, Nathaniel, y'all. Back to the, the cops' work and the crime scene, and, you know, this is after the bodies are found. They're working the crime scene. Well, guess what happens? This dude, Nathaniel Code, walks up to the cops, and he, and he says, hey, I, that's my grandfather, Right? And I'm his grandson. And he said, hey, just just last night, Grandpa called me, and uh, he said it was around 1030 or 11 o'clock. And, and, he, and Grandpa asked me, he said, hey, can you come over here the, to my house? Because uh, there's some people hanging around my house, and, and I'm not comfortable with them. Can you come over here and check it out? So Nathaniel said, yeah, yeah, Grandpa, you know, I'll be loving you, Pops. I'm, I'm going to take care of you. So Nathaniel Coe said he went to his grandfather's house at approximately 2 a.m. Now, if you get the call at 11 a.m., your grandfather's like, they got bad dudes hanging around your house. Why would you wait till 2 a.m. to go over there? But he says, I went over to Papa's house around 2 a.m. on the morning of August the 5th. And he said, my grandfather let me in the house. Open the door, right? I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. That little boy let him in. Um, Nathaniel said, hey, look, I checked the house, and and then I walked, went outside, and I walked around the house. Like, hey, I'm looking for any any bad guys or any suspicious people. And, and he said, you know what? I didn't see anything. Um, he said, then I, then I got on my bicycle, and I left. He said, but you know what, though? I was kind of scared for Grandpa. So I turned around and I rode back on my bicycle again and I checked outside the house again. I didn't see anything. And then I just rode my bicycle home. Well, the cops are like, mm, this motherfucker's full of shit, right? And I would have done the same thing. They were, but, you know, you don't want to randomize him right then. This dude approached you unsolicited. He's, you're, technically, he's not a suspect at the time. So you don't have to randomize him, et cetera. We're like, oh, yeah, you know what? You're pretty helpful. This shit I would have done. You're pretty helpful. Why don't you come on down to the police station and let's get a statement from you, meaning um, we're about to get you off your turf and get you on ours because you're suspicious as fuck. So Daniel Code, he, he was like, okay, I'll come down there. I'll help y'all. You know, it's my grandfather and shit. Um, so they, they get into the police station to give a statement. And, I mean, by his own admission, he was apparently the last person to see his grandfather alive. But they came, the cops became suspicious uh, of Cove because during the, they're talking, they're like, well, what'd you do when you went inside the house? He said, well, and he was very specific, y'all. He said, well, you know, when I was in there, I touched the vacuum and then I touched the fan and a humidifier. And you know what? I also touched the phone. While I was at Paul Paul's house, um, and guess what, y'all? When they worked the crime scene, the cops 
when I told you the two boys were tied up with the cords and the grandfather was tied up with the cords and they were strangled and gagged with the cords, the different cords. Guess what items these cords have been cut from? The vacuum, the fan, the humidifier, and the phone. Each one of these cords was used in some part of this these brutal murders, right? And they're like, mm, you just fucked up, homie. Uh, yeah. But I guess Nathaniel Coe thought he was smarter, right? But he was trying to explain why, a way why his fingerprints would be on these items. So cops are like, hey, you know what? What were you wearing yesterday? And Nathaniel told me, they're like, where are those clothes at? He was like, they're at my house. He said, well, you don't mind if we go on over there and get them, do you? Well, now Nathaniel's like, holy fuck, um, kind of in a bind here, but mm, I'm smarter than these motherfuckers. They can't get anything off my clothes. So the cops go to, with Nathaniel to his house, and they took the clothes and the shoes that he had worn the day before. Now, remember, this is witnessed by the, the uh, neighbor down the street that he stopped and introduced this female to. But while they're working the... Uh, with Nathaniel Code, his fingerprints and palm prints were taken, and guess what? They were matched to the latent palm prints, which were found at the Cheney homicide. And then, and me, I would have done it earlier, but then they informed him of his Miranda rights. And uh, they questioned him about the Cheney homicides, and it didn't take long, and they were like, fuck you, you're under arrest. Okay? So the crime lab had found on those clothes, y'all, on the tennis shoes worn by Nathaniel Coe by his own admission to his grandfather's house, they found the same medium-velocity blood spatter on his tennis shoes. Um, yeah, the crime lab was able to say, hey, this is definitely human blood, but there wasn't enough blood to do any type of uh, typing back in then that's all you got a type a b or whatever open positive whatever it's called and they didn't have dna so well now code's under arrest so the cops go back to his house and they talk to his wife and they were like mm, you know what do you mind if we search your house and she was like okay go ahead so she signed the waiver for them um the consent form for them to search it. And when they're searching the house, the cops found uh, several cut electrical cords and remember that professional grade duct tape I told you about from the Cheney murder and the alleyway of the Cheney murder. They found the same thing. And guess what? Nathaniel Code had been working as a plumber. All right. So, um, also, they started digging in Nathaniel Coates' past, and they, they found out that he, he had been, in the, the days just before the murders, he had approached several different people and asked them to borrow money, all right? The, these, the, days, the day before the bodies were found. And actually, with, within less than 12 hours before the body were found, bodies were found, he went to Shreveport's narcotics officers and offered his services as a, as a CI or paid confidential informant. Um, and he, he said, hey, I can give you drug dealers um, 
but you got to give me a hundred bucks, right? And they agreed. They were trying to work cases, trying to find the drug dealers. And so on the same day that the bodies were found, Code, Nathaniel Code called his cousin Beatrice Holmes and he invited her over. And the two shared a gram of cocaine and Nathaniel Code, which Nathaniel Code supplied. And then they went to the liquor store and Code purchased some beer. And on the way home, he bought a second gram of cocaine and Holmes and Nathaniel Cove were shooting the cocaine up when they got a telephone call, uh, which was when he was informed that his grandfather had been murdered. Now, how fucking cold-blooded are you? Go murder these two little boys and your grandfather, and then you're going to go and act like you're working for the police and go get some cocaine, and you, you're shooting it up with your old lady or this this lady, this girl, your cousin, and then you go get some beer, and you get some more cocaine, and, I mean, self-explanatory, right? So um, the, uh, Beatrice Holmes would later on testify, y'all, that the gram of cocaine sold for approximately $150 at the time. Well, we know that the day before, he had asked for $100 from narcotics officers. Now he bought $300 worth of cocaine and beer in the same day. Money was missing from his grandfather's residence, approximately four to $600. Right? So, y'all, he's arrested, and I'm going to save you a lot of uh, pain and effort, et cetera, but they go to trial, and he, it, he is definitely found guilty and he's sentenced to murder, but that's not all I'm going to tell you about the, the, this was one of the first cases that I knew of. And I knew this when I remember when I read this case, because of Leah Marie, that, um, the FBI introduced profiling, right? Well, part, they, they brought in special agent Douglas and I read this guy's books. And he was like the grandfather of profiling, um, of the FBI, and he testified as an expert in the field of criminal investigative analysis. And listen to what he said, y'all. This is going to trip you out. He's, he said there's two types. Of, he said, there's a difference between modus operandi, which is MO, and the ritual aspects of the crimes of a serial killer, okay? Modus operandi is a learned behavior, which can tr- change as the criminal learns in you know, it gets smarter and it, and it adapts their behavior to fit a particular situation. Like, uh, well, let me get to the ritual. The ritual aspects of a crime never change, and they are linked to the criminal's internal need to do certain things. And uh, Douglas was convinced the murders were the work of, the, of one person. Douglas also acknowledged that these crimes had modus operandi dissimilarities in the point of entry, meaning he gained the entry to the houses in different ways, and the weapons used, and the time sequence in between killings. But he said the crimes had several identical ritual aspects, and the most important being the distinctive handcuff ligature, y'all. Remember that I had never even heard of that before. I know what it is because I've seen it, but you, I couldn't do one if I tried. But he said... The most important ritual aspect, which is something that 
serial killer can't control themselves from doing. Like some of them, it's rape and or sodomy or whatever. But his was there was never any any in the thing of code shit. There was never any proof that he did anything sexual to his victims. But he always used this handcuff ligature. In fact, Special Agent Douglas said he had never seen this type of ligature before, nor had any crime enforcement personnel he he consulted with on the case. He said in addition to the unique way the ligatures were tied, that uh, Douglas noted that the use of electrical appliances from inside the residences were so unique were the bindings that he stated if you put all those cases together in one pile, you would look at it and say, this all happened at one crime scene. This is one instance. And he, he went on to note like Vivian Cheney and William Code were tied in the exact same identical manner, right? And we know it's different crime scenes. He said another ritual aspect of the murders that Douglas recognized was the killer's need for manipulation, domination, and control over his victims, which is obvious by the hog time, et cetera. But he's, he said also the placing of the victims in different rooms was consistent with this ritual, like the position of Deborah Ford, y'all, and the position of uh, Carlita Cheney were almost identical, even though it's two different separate ha- households. Douglas also noted the aspect of overkill present in each crime scene, um, i.e. the victims were not just stabbed, they were almost decapitated. Another ritual aspect was the predominant use of a knife. So prevalent were the case's ritual aspects that Douglas testified, it is not even a difficult case for us. We believe to show the signature aspect. Each lawn or enforcement officer that visited three crime the three crime scenes was convinced the murders were the work of the same person. So the you know naturally oh back to it you remember the um National Guardsman I told you was running late at night and he would testify on the trial too. He knew the thing code. He knew what his name was. And the uh and the other person that saw him on the on the block that night, they knew him. And guess what? Nathaniel Code had been standing in the crowd at every one of the crime scenes, just like Dr. McCormick had said. And you know what they did, y'all? They sentenced his ass to death, right? And they went in, naturally they found him guilty of the first-degree murders, and then you have to have the aggravating circumstances. Now, the aggravating circumstances in this case were uh, he was committing uh, robberies during the homicides and the multiple homicides and the age of the victims and there's a tra- traumatic form of death. Like they just testified that having your slope throat slit six times would definitely be uh, painful and, in you know, a horrible way, horrible way to die. So, and of course it goes to the penalty phase and they present all this. And for once, uh, um, they didn't use the craziness theory. Like they said, Nathaniel Code actually was a pretty smart dude, above average intelligence, um, no schizophrenia, none of that shit, which, you know, really certainly didn't help him. He was just a fucking killer. I mean, he just, but you know what's so weird about it, y'all? 
Think about the underwear turned inside out, but there's no sexual motive. And I, the, the, I don't know who knows where he learned that handcuff ligature from, but every one of his victims, all of his victims, he cut cords from inside the house, took the time to tie them up. He moved the bodies around. He made some of them watch what he did to the other ones and repositioned the bodies, uh, the signature cords, turned the underwear inside out, and overkill on at least one of the victims in each house. It's a bad dude, y'all. I mean, you know, like uh, Vivian Cheney making her watch him murder her daughter and then dragging her into the bathroom. And even though he stabbed her shit out of her and everything else, he drowned her while he was strangling her. Just pure, pure, pure evil. And... He was, ultimately, they came back and said that he didn't deserve to breathe in the the penalty phase, meaning that he was sentenced to bloody Angola, and they put him on death row. And as always, you know, they get all the appeals process, and I could read you the 50-something Ways he says that the cops violated him and the judge fucked up and the lawyers fucked up and and all that. Well, you know what? They gave him the death penalty. Well, let me tell you a little bit about him. Nathaniel Robert Coe Jr. was born on March the twelfth, nineteen fifty six, and he was twenty nine years old when he committed the Cheney murders on July nineteenth, nineteen eighty five. Right. And again, he was given extensive tests, and, and the tests revealed no organic brain disorder. He had uh, above normal intelligence. He can distinguish right from wrong and was able to cooperate intelligently in his own defense. And he has no apparent mental or physical impairments. Um, Y'all, that's just very, very rare. Every one of these cases I read, y'all, they always come out and try to say, oh, he's this and was abused as a kid and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, whatever. They didn't do it. I mean, they said he had a... The defense put somebody on and said he is borderline personality disorder. Well, fuck, I'm borderline personality everything, I can assure you, but I don't go around killing people. Um, but they sent us me all, and, and, you know, the, the, as we, as I sit here and tell you this story, guess what? He is still alive on death row. So let's figure it out. That's 84, 94, 2004, 14, 24. That's 40 fucking years this piece of shit's been alive on death row. Well, guess what's happening? State of Louisiana, Jeff Landry's now the governor, and he's been fighting. He was fighting our past governor, John Bell Edwards, who ultimately came out in the end and said, hmm. I don't believe in a death penalty, and I'm a pardon all these fuckers uh, or get get them off a of death row. Jeff Landry was the attorney general. He challenged that. He followed every step of the way. He got it where that couldn't happen. And then John Bell just comes out and says, I'm, I've been basically prolonging this since Gerald Bordelon, y'all. Go listen to the original Real Life Real Crime Episode Murder Me Now, um, Gerald Bordelon was the last person executed in the state of Louisiana, and he waived all his appeals. It was 2012 or 13. He waived all his appeals. But since then, 
the state of Louisiana has not executed anyone because John Bell Edwards took office. And this is not a political statement. It's a fucking fact. John Bell Edwards took office and uh, it just wouldn't let him happen. You know, he, he gave st- stays and then he said it was about the They couldn't get the medicines to, you know, to put them to sleep or whatever they do. And ultimately, his last two months in office, he just came out and said, you know what? I've been doing this because I don't believe in a death penalty. Well, I don't care what you believe in. And a lot of people don't believe in a death penalty. I get that. But if it had been your family member who had been stabbed, your young kid who had been stabbed, what, 13, 15 times and throat slit six times and then it takes time after that to turn his underwear or his underoos inside out and he's hogtied. You come home and you see your kid like that, you'd have a different position, I do believe. So, new sheriff in town, Jeff Landry, got sworn in last week and all those people I've been telling you about. And thank you, Leah Marie, again for this one because this is a good one, a good example. All those people. Now, the, the one good thing about them being on death row all these years they, is they've exhausted all their appeals, the majority of them. The one here from Livingston Parish, him and his lover took the little boy and tortured him, brutally raped him, and um, you know shot him in the head like a dog and left him on the riverbank here. That dude's the longest-running death row inmate in the state of Louisiana. I can't remember his name. He's a piece of shit. He doesn't deserve his name said. But he, his partner died when he was on death row from fucking old age and cancer and shit. You know, these dudes have been down 40-plus years. Their victims didn't get that, right? Jeff Landry about to make those wheels turn, and I will be bringing you updates on those cases as they happen. Um, I wanted to tell the story, y'all. I think it's tragic, but I think it's even more tragic. We've been paying for this asshole to breathe all this time. So I'm going to conclude this episode. Um, I love and appreciate each and every one. I appreciate each and every one of y'all. Patreon, convicts, Apple subscribers, thank you so much. Y'all, there's more bonus episodes being locked up. Now they are going to be recorded in video also. And if you can't be a subscriber. I get it. Um, I thank you for listening. You know, I love and appreciate each and every one of you lifers. Thank you for sharing and liking and leaving us reviews. And we've just been real blessed y'all. It's because of y'all and we've won everything and all that. I'm going to go ahead and let a part of the cat out of the bag on the TV show. Not, not my own TV show, which is in the, is in the talks. Right. But there is an episode, an hour-long episode of Cold Case Files coming out real soon in which I'm featured, and I will give you the details as soon as I can give you the date. Um, but LOPA, Louisiana Oregon Procurement Agency, you know it's my jam. They save lives every single day, and I keep getting more messages from more people who are alive because somebody took the time and signed up to be an organ donor and gave the gift of life. And you don't have to be from the state of Louisiana to sign up, y'all. You can be from a lifer from um, 
Brisbane, Australia. And go to lopa.org, take two minutes, and fill out the form, be a hero. If they, I mean, Lopa helps these families, not only during the process, but and the families that, that are blessed enough to be recipients, but they help the families. They take care of them. They walk them through the process. They, I mean, again, they're nonprofits. That's why we raise money for them every year. And if you met the people that I met that were alive because of these heroes, you'd go out and do it too. So anyway, I'm Woody Overton. You host the Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder by You. And shout out to Chase Tyler and Chase Tyler Band for our music. Love y'all. Peace. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to and during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? When the wolf is at your door, you run in zone mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.